Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. A bit of a transfer special today. I'm your host, Rich Fay, and I'm delighted to be joined by the founding member of the Fred Appreciation Society, Dom Booth. Hello, nice to be with you. Uh, how, are you how are you doing today, Dom? It's uh, maybe a bit of a come down after yesterday's uh, transfer deadline drama. Yeah, I'm feeling tired up till working till midnight. And when you work late, you can never get to sleep, can you? That's just a, a, a little problem I have. So I was still thinking about Edison Cavani deep into the early hours of, uh, of the morning. Only natural, only natural. I, I guess the yeah. other things, well, Dom, is nobody will, will probably feel sorry for us on this, but even on transfer deadline day, we sort of do half a shift each, but you can't really turn off either side of that because you need to be on top of what's happening throughout the day. So even though you might even be sort of online for eight hours, you're still always have to sort of be invested in it all. Uh, United's transfer deadline day was, I guess it was like a broken record. United said this summer that they did want to get business done early in the summer. Again, they didn't. It came down to deadline day. They knew they needed to get new players in, but they did get new players in. It is sort of, depends if you're an optimist or a, a pessimist, really, because United had to wait late, but they did get players in in the end. Maybe not the players that they wanted. They're still probably too glaring uh, sort of issues with the squad but before we come on to sort of analysing each transfer one by one what did you make of uh, of United's sort of feelings on deadline day Tom? Yeah I think for a, if you take the deadline day in isolation uh, and what they managed to bring in I don't think it was too bad I think it's more the the whole summer transfer window uh, you know in context with the with what they wanted what they set out at the start of the window and what the club are still saying now, to be honest with you, I, I still think that's it's a disappointing window. I think pure that the pure failure to get Jaden Sancho or or any other alternative uh, in on the right wing is probably the biggest uh, error. Deadline day was fine. I think Alex Tellers and Edinson Cavani they may turn out to be good signings. I'm not wholly convinced on Cavani. Yeah, it's a difficult one. I think any time you're scrambling around for late deals on deadline day, it doesn't really fill me with confidence and I don't think it fills United's fans with confidence either. No, exactly. And Cavani, maybe in particular, that is a good one to start with. He's sort of, um, he's a player that if they got him in January rather than a Gallo, you could understand and that would have made sense as a short-term fix when Rashford was injured. But maybe now it's difficult to sort of buy into the narrative of him being like another Zlatan Ibrahimovic. He has got an incredible scoring record. He's won, it, won a lot, albeit mainly with PSG. So, there's always maybe the caveat of competition over in France. But like you said, Cavani is an interesting one because you would even say that maybe United could have got away with not signing a striker this summer if they would have got a proven right winger because then Greenwood could have been the backup striker. So you maybe didn't even need a striker all along. But Cavani in particular, like you said, Dom, it's, it's a difficult one to get too excited about. It's, it's just interesting to see how he'll cope. And of course, with Marshall's uh, free match ban now for United, uh, he will get playing time, you expect, from the off, but Cavani, he just goes against everything United said their transfer policy was. Yeah, it does. And I know that Odi Nogalo also did go against that that policy. And you can't see Nogalo playing any games now, really, can you? I think it's it's one or the other. If you're going to spin Cavani in a positive way, like you said at the start of the podcast, are you an optimist or a pessimist about United's transfer business? I'm always try try to be optimistic on this podcast. So. I guess Cavani is a massive upgrade on Igalo. Absolutely no doubt about that. He is a proven goal scorer. I think when Martial is out now for three games after that red card against Spurs, Cavani will be a good option as a focal point. I think Rashford and, and Greenwood will probably enjoy playing with him. 
but it, it's just that sense of desperation, isn't it? It's just, just that um, the strategy that United have been talking about, high-quality recruits with homegrown talent, young players, hungry players. I guess you can argue Cavani is a high-quality recruit, but maybe in 2014-15 he was. <laughs> the jury's out at the moment. He scored five goals, I think, last season, and he wasn't really a, a fixture in the PSG team. So, yeah, that does fill me with a bit of concern. Yeah, the sort of fact that he'd fallen. I mean, Icardi's arrival at PSG sort of forced him out to, to the fringes, but the fact that he's even behind Eric Chupamotting for the striker spot at PSG is a concern. I know he's just sealed the move to Bayern and he's obviously got a squad purpose himself, but there are uh, are concerns, but it is that one plus one deal for United. So there is maybe a get-out clause if, if next summer things haven't gone according to plan, but like I said, it doesn't really uh, reflect too well at United when they've pushed that narrative of it being a, a cultural rebuild and they've sort of regressed to a Louis van Gaal sort of signing uh, in 2020. Dom, we also look at Alex Tellez. You touched upon him before, and there's no doubts that he maybe is an improvement on Luke Shaw. He's definitely something different. We saw at the weekend how effective Ben Chilwell was for, for Chelsea on his debut from left back. And, you know, United's playing style maybe suffers from the fact that their two fullbacks aren't playmakers, as we've seen at the likes of Man City, seen at, at Liverpool. In terms of maybe before we go specifically onto Alex Tellez, we look at the five signings in, in total. If you, Count Donny van der Beek as well. Interesting that United sort of after five transfers this summer, maybe even their best 11's not really changed much from last season. Maybe one or two of them get into the, the starting lineup if you to do a best 11, but United have not really addressed those, those key issues. Yeah, uh, I was tasked with doing a, a piece today in the MEN what the lineup could look like with Cavani and, and Tellez in the side. And I think obviously uh, those two other signings of Fakundu Palistri, are we saying, and uh, Ahmed Jallo. They're both young wingers. I don't think Jallo arrives until January and Police Street's expected to... I think he'll play a few under-23 games, to be honest, before he he goes straight into the first team. So, yeah, I think with Cavani, Tellers, Van der Beek, do any of them get in United's first-choice team from, from last season? A, I say maybe question. just Tellers. But yeah, sure maybe all Van der Beek. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Like, there is a, there's an argument to say that none of them get into United's strongest eleven in which case they've they've strengthened the squad but not the starting lineup. But then I guess there is that caveat that United had two really good sort of well not really no maybe not two, but they did have at least one really good run last season. It, it depends if you count either side of lockdown as one run or two runs really. I probably would say two because you've got the the sort of February to March run and then the the post lockdown run as well. And in those two runs United starting eleven was good enough. They just maybe suffered from fatigue and not having decent options on the bench so these transfers could could change that they could certainly bring more to a side which has had finished third next season but I guess the the worry Dom is that no matter what happens you've got to compare it to the business which has been done elsewhere and if you look at the actual expenditure this summer I know it's been good over the last few years still you sense that other teams have brought better than United this summer yeah I think they have and it doesn't necessarily guarantee success obviously but when you saw, um, when you've seen what Everton have done so far this season, having made a, a number of a really key signings, James Rodriguez and uh, Alan and Decore really bolstering their midfield. When you look at what Spurs are, can still bring into their side with Gareth Bale waiting to come in and obviously Reguillon having a, a decent impact, they dismantled United without um, without Bale in the, in the side. It's just a bit concerning for United. I see Chelsea is the other one as well. I think. 
I would have caution over over Chelsea and over Arsenal as well, because I think they have done some eye-catching business and certainly players that United that would have improved United have gone there. I think um, you imagine United signing Thomas Partey and Timo Werner for a combined 80, 90 million. I mean, that would have been much better value than getting Jadon Sancho, who they chased and chased and chased and then didn't get. So all those all these signings that other clubs don't guarantee success, but I can understand why they they sort of give the mood of uh, of negativity around United, considering United's net spend is on the first team is 35 million this summer. Yeah, exactly. You, you look at elsewhere in the league, it's, like, it's maybe more glaring for me is the fact that it's not Chelsea, not Tottenham, not Arsenal, but it's the fact that teams like Leeds and Aston Villa have spent more freely, really, than United. And even Aston Villa have spent more than United and they've kept Jack Grealish. So for that sort of message to be sent out, maybe isn't a, a good look at all for United. Um, we'll go back through that list of ticking the players off one by one. We've done Edison Cavani. Alex Tellez is, I mean, he's one of those players that we talk about as an attacking threat. I can't say I've ever watched him. can't say that I know too much about him anyway. But we saw the Portuguese league that maybe you can't write them off because Bruno Fernandes came in and people doubted that he'd be able to adapt to the Premier League and he's taken it by storm. Alex Tellez, even if he isn't maybe as defensively good as Luke Shaw, it's good to have someone who is quite openly a, an attacking fullback, isn't it? Yeah, I think he's a good addition. I think I would have I would have liked Reguilón as well because I was impressed with him when I saw him in the Europa League for Sevilla. I think it one of those two was it was a good option at left back. It was just a strange one that United didn't really shout from the rooftops that they wanted a left back for for a long time. It it didn't appear to be a priority until later on in the window, maybe because options became available. They were aware that Tellez was attainable for a decent price. I think he got twenty six goals and fifty assists over four seasons. With uh with Porto as a as a very very decent record, so he's one that do hold out some some hope for, and I think Luke Shaw needs that competition at left back because uh it sort of became a bit too easy. I think it Brandon Williams offered a little bit of a a competition for a, a few weeks when he emerged, but it soon became obvious Shaw was the was the first choice, and now Shaw's dropped off at the start of this season. So yeah, Tellez is a good one for me. I think um behind Van der Beek is the best the best of the bunch. Yeah, exactly. Maybe we'll uh, sort of rank them all later on as well in terms of what you expect from each and every one of them. But yeah, Tellers has got to be an interesting one. Like you said, the, the competition for places uh, certainly helped Luke Shaw towards the end of, of last season. He, arguably one of the United's best performers during the calendar year, really, Luke Shaw. And it's no surprise that United's sort of form dropped off after that injury against Southampton when Brandon Williams came on and got injured himself and other fame he scored late on. But United just weren't quite the same, really. I know they had the Leicester win, but uh, it just didn't seem seem right without Luke Shaw. He offers that balance. In terms of, you touched upon it there, Dom, it's maybe three weeks ago, if you would have said United needed a left-back and a striker, most fans would have said, no, they probably don't. They're not priorities. It's just kind of odd, I think. If you look at the window, United have signed a centre-attacker midfielder, which maybe wasn't as, as essential, but we said you know they need someone as backup to Bruno and Paul Pogba, if possible, to relieve that pressure. Two right wing or two wingers who aren't really first team quality yet. Another left back and a reserve striker. If you look at them position for position, it's it is odd that United have changed their tack almost because it seems so obvious that a proven right winger and a centre back were needed this summer. Yeah, there's two ways of looking at it. Whether you you say that buying players who uh, who strengthen the squad is is a general boost for the depth, 
Or you should you say, well, we need to sign first team players and then that will improve the depth in itself because you'll have a higher standard of first team player. You have a bigger pool, maybe like 18, 19 first team players. I think United probably have about 16 at the moment. Um, midfield is definitely the strongest area of the squad. Uh, it already was and then they brought Van der Beek, so that was a bit of an odd one. I don't know what you think, Rich, about the, the right wing situation. I think it's sort of it's difficult to criticise the, the signing of two exciting youngsters that United have bought. But just the fact that United did shout it from the rooftops that they wanted a marquee right winger that, you know, they wanted Jaden Sancho. They've been quick to say now that they had, had explored other alternatives to Sancho and that he wasn't just the, the one out target. It's just the fact that United haven't got anything in there just is baffling to me. Yeah, I think it is baffling the fact that as of yesterday, they were still, well, this time yesterday, we were calling this at 2pm on a Tuesday, by the way, but as, as this time yesterday, Dembele and Ismaili Saar were both still possible possibilities, as well as these two youngsters. So it's quite clear that United still wanted someone, even if it was a short-term fix, at right wing. It's been so obvious for so long now they've needed a right wing, and not even just this summer, not even January, last summer as well. And if you look at it, the last out-and-out right wing United signed was Wilfred Zaha. It, it's seven years ago, is it? eight years ago now that, that he joined and eventually didn't, didn't make it United. Mkhitaryan was signed as one, but, but made it quite quickly uh, obvious that he wasn't the right winger. He wanted to play through the middle more. They had to play players like Shinji Kagawa out there, and you've seen people come and go, like Vadnan and Yanazai. United just haven't had a right winger for so long now. It's been so obvious. Mason Greenwood's done excellent there, but I worry about that because he's a centre-forward, and it's almost painful that these these years which really do shape your career he's playing right wing when I think he should be that backup option to Marshall yeah. through the middle and if you think United have signed a right winger now and Marshall did have this ban Green would have would have three games in a row as the starting centre forward in the Premier League which would have been huge in his development and Dom I know we'll, we'll come onto the wingers after this but it's a hell of a lot of pressure for both of them both of them have a handful of, prop, of sort of proper game experience uh, I think Calestri's played about five times in the Copa Libertadores uh, this season. And then you've got Diallo, who, who's only played half an hour in Serie A, which is just, to then make the move to United is just so much pressure. And you almost feel that that, uh, obviously it's make or break, but it could be detrimental almost for throwing a, a teenager into the first team when, when they are here. Yeah, but they aren't, they're not on Sancho's level. They shouldn't be compared to Sancho. Exactly. Then. It should have been Dembele or Saar or anybody else. David Brooks, um, under who went to Leicester. Uh, United could have had a look at Ferran Torres before he went to City. Benarama at Brentford. There were loads of people who United could have gone after as a proper first team Sancho alternative. They didn't have to put all their eggs in, in one basket. And it, it's it's odd that they're still saying now, well, we hope to still sign Sancho in the future. You should have You should address a position find a few players for that position and then and then sign one of them. You, sh- you shouldn't just say, well, we want this player, come what may, and we're going to, even if we don't get him, it's going to be at the detriment to, to the position. And I agree with you about Greenwood as well. It's, it's a shame that um, he's going to play all his football this season on the right wing. He's going to, he's going to be the main right winger for the majority of the season. Not, not to say he's not going to do a good job because uh, he probably will because he's been one of United's best players since he came into the side. Yeah, exactly. It's almost what's happened to Rashford, isn't it? Because he was sold to us as a centre-forward, but now he's, he's a left-winger because he's played so much football out on the left-wing because United didn't really have a left-winger. And the same, I fear, 
might happen to Greenwood, but like you said, he is an exceptional talent. I, I have no doubts he would still be able to do a, a job up front. I just think that you need to have that fine tuning, you need to have that run of games as, as the main man at the top. And particularly now with Cavani at the club, I can't really see see it happening too much. I think he'll maybe start one of the, one of the games after the international break as the striker, but it, it seems a, a big ask. But you mentioned it there, Dom Sancho. I know the, the rhetoric and maybe what the club will be saying is the fact that they didn't want to overpay for him and you've got to understand the wider transfer climate. You know, United are still a, a business. They've still got to make sensible business decisions, but sometimes the football has to come first and you need to sort of pay that premium. And for Sancho as well, the thing that maybe annoys me, I'm not sure from a fan's point of view, is the fact that, yes, he would have been expensive this summer, but now you're waiting another year. He's probably going to be a bit annoyed you've gone so publicly that you want him this summer and not bought him. And next summer is the Euros. If he had a good Euros and he's a standout player, his value is only going to go higher. And particularly if the financial climate's recovered and who knows what position will be and fans might be going to games again in, in a year's time, Jason Sancho could end up costing a hell of a lot more for United than he would have done this summer. Yeah, I mean, there's two ways of looking at it and they're both sort of dominant uh, arguments at the moment in the media. Why was so much money spent in general uh, by so many clubs? Chelsea breaking the bank... Spurs going all out. Your Premier League's probably spent a lot more than any other European league. Why has that happened? But then at the same time, people are asking the question, why haven't United matched the spending of these other clubs? So you can't have one and the other. United can't, can't really argue that COVID or the virus has, has played too much of a part in limiting their dealings when everyone else has spent so much. And that's the frustration on Sancho. They had a clear run at him. They could have paid the money and got him quite easily. And they just, they were too stubborn for their own good, really. I think they, they just dug their heels in. They said, we're not paying 120 million euros. But like you say, there's going to be other other fish in that uh, in that pond next season, next summer. And uh, United may well not get Sancho. He may never wear the shirt. And there'd be a massive source of regret because he, he's definitely going to be, a you know, one of the main British or English talents in the years to come. Yeah, exactly. He's one of the uh, players that you, you, you can have no real questions about. I mean, the fact that he's 20 years old now, he already is a world star, he's already a global brand, sort of uh, sort of justify that. But Don will come on to those other two right-wingers who have signed. So we've got Ahmad Diallo, who's who's all but joined, but he'll be coming officially, uh, they say, at a later date, we believe it's January, and obviously Fakuno Pistrilli. Yeah, let's go with that. I was going to Who say, knows? don't ask me too much about them, though, to be honest, because uh, my Uruguay- Uruguayan scouting knowledge is not quite what it was. Yeah, exactly. United have said that they've extensively scouted the, the duo for a number of years now and that they've not sort of been reactionary deals. They've just sort of amplified the need to get them in the summer window because there's been interest from elsewhere. Um, Pastorelli apparently had a move to Leon sort of on hold in case the United one didn't go through. And uh, Diallo was meant to go to Palmer on loan which was pulled as well at the last minute um, like you said earlier they can't be considered as Jaden and Sancho alternatives, they are just sort of backup options who United might have moved for anyway if they've got Sancho and they're two players who have long term futures but both players who we have been told are first team signings you said earlier Dom and I agree with you that they might need some time in the under 23s to adapt just even to the physicality of English football before they're into the limelight of a first team exposure but what do you expect from from them because can you expect either of them to become first team regulars in the next season or so because personally i can't really see it i know we've already got a teenager in mason greenwood doing a lot on the first team but 
he's he's come through the English football system. He knows sort of how to adapt to English football. These two players have hardly adapted to football in Italy and Uruguay, respectively. Yeah, in answer to your question, I don't expect any of them any anything from them in the first team this year. To be quite honest, it's just. It's a, it's a baffling situation because maybe you should expect something, especially of uh, Diallo, who I think United have paid about £20 million up front for, €20 million Euros maybe, which is a, a hefty fee and could have been put towards a, a more senior signing. I think £30, £40 would have got you. Uh, Ismail Assar, for example, who United did make an inquiry for on, on deadline day, but only wanted to loan him. And then they go and spend all this money on a, an 18-year-old who's played half an hour for Atalanta. It, it sounds pretty withering assessment, but that's where it stands. And I, I just, yeah, I think it's it's probably that's that fee is going to put pressure on Diallo himself. When he arrives in January, he'll probably be expected to play some part in the in the first team squad. I don't expect anything from him or Polistri. I I expect them to maybe come good uh, in a year's time if and when United ever give up the ghost on the Sancho chase. Yeah, exactly. You've also got to sort of see that as the elephant in the room, haven't you? That United have bought these wingers, but if they still say they want Sancho, then what's the actual long-term project for them both? Because, you know, in, in United's ideal situation, neither of them will be first-team players. Yeah, and I think they were they were after, for a while, they were after Thiago Almada, Argentinian winger, who's probably in the same bracket of a an un, unknown quantity young player from, from a foreign country who likes of me and you don't know that much about, but who the club insists they've done their, their due diligence and, and scouting on. Listen, two or three years' time, maybe these two will, will be on either wing for United and, and they will turn into into the big talents of the future. They are both risks. Maybe they'll pay off. I don't think you can criticise United overly for making uh, additions like this to their, to their youth sides because they've done it all summer, actually, haven't they? They've done, they've done a few good signings at under-18, under-23 level. I think that's fair enough. I think Nicky Butt, uh, in his role of head of first team development, deserves credit for that. There's almost an argument to say Nicky Butch should be the new director of football at United. I was going to write been, that at some point. Yeah, he, is, he has been. Level. He's been flawless at youth level. United's recruitment has been absolutely spot on, and they need footballing brains at the top of the first team. That's been absolutely abundantly clear in the last summer window. I did speak to a uh, South American scout yesterday who said that even he was really surprised by the Pastrelli deal from. I've, I've probably said his name about six different times in this podcast already from, a, from Penarol saying that he's a very good talent, but really there seems to be concerns in South America about how he'll adapt to the English game because he apparently he looks quite slight even for playing in the Uruguayan top flight. He looks maybe a bit off the pace physically there. So he will need time to adapt. And I think that you know United fans maybe need to sort of quell their expectations for those two, but certainly two players who who could have a bright future. In terms of uh, departures, though, Dom, it's been more of the same for United and this. I know you tweeted about it before, but there are still a number of players at United past deadline day who just have no role to play anymore. United did manage to just about, with one minute to spare, sell Chris Smalling to Roma on deadline day, but Sergio Romero remains at the club. It means United have three highly paid goalkeepers, all high quality as well. One of them is just going to have to be very unhappy all season. Marcus Rojo, Still can't be shifted. Phil Jones, when was the last time we saw him? And like you said earlier, Odin Agarlo, what is his purpose anymore? Well, there are some transfer windows open, aren't there, still around uh, around Europe in some of the smaller nations. And obviously the, the Championship and Football League clubs can still do business for another 10 days from now, uh, speaking on the 6th of October. That's the, that's the hope that United maybe can get a few people 
out on loan or 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 permanent deals elsewhere. Uh, it's just, I think it just it typifies the situation at the moment of the club, the mismanagement that's gone on. Jones was handed a contract um, at the start of Solskjaer's tenure, I think it was January 2019, I think, until 2023, which is unbelievable. For Phil Jones has still got another two and a half, three years to go on his contract. And it's so mad as well, Dom, that one, that Phil Jones wasn't even playing well at the time. Like, it's not as if he had a resurgence in the first team, someone like Luke, like Luke Shaw did at the start of the year, or Nemanja Matic, where they were justifying a first-team role every single week. The Phil Jones one, I think, is maybe the biggest sort of mystery out of the bunch. Yeah, I think Rojo got one, didn't he, when he was playing quite well under Mourinho. So I think mm. maybe fair enough, and that does expire at the end of this season. The Jones one is 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 mad, really. I, I know United are one of those clubs who are very keen to protect the resale value of players. I think it's something that Tottenham did very well under um, Pochettino. Remember that picture, that the repetitive picture of Pochettino putting his arm around every single player, and it was like Deli Ali, Rose, Walker, Kane. You know, all the all the main stars of that team a few years ago. But this is not that. This is United trying to protect resale value on players who I can't see clubs going in for. It's, mm. It doesn't make any sense. You, you bet. You better off getting them off the wage bill, allowing them to leave for free, rather than keeping players in a bloated squad and who have no prospects of playing the first team this season. Exactly. And maybe the biggest concern or another concern to consider is the fact that you look at that that list of maybe sort of redundant players now at United who just do not have a purpose and will miss most match day squads, maybe even miss like the Carabao Cup squads because they just do not have a, a role to play at the moment. They're all on big wages as well, or at least reported big wages. And if they were to go to maybe a championship club, you still sense United would have to subsidise them quite a bit and pay a, a large chunk or proportion of them, which again just raises the question, why didn't you just leave them, for, let them leave for free in the first place? And I guess maybe we saw it, we saw sort of progress towards last season when like Teeth Chong renewed his contract, but it was a two-year deal, which made sense because you get a free hit to see if they're good or not really. It's, it's not too much of a step up, but handing four three-year deals to players who already out of the first team picture is just baffling and it just the, maybe the, the biggest takeaway from this transfer window in terms of arrivals and in terms of departures Dom, is that United is still making the exact same mistakes they were making not just last year not just the year before but since 2013. Yeah in the in the post-Ferguson era I think there's been a succession of mistakes and that was typified again going back to the start the Cavani deal it just stank of the Falcao uh, deadline day loan in 2014 was it I think when he arrived for a £6 million loan fee, half fit, having been struggling with in injury, United thought they were signing a player from 2012 uh, and they didn't get anything like that. Hopefully Cavani isn't like that for United, but I think that sums up what you're saying, that, that those mistakes are still being made. United are claiming that they're learning. I don't, I'm not sure they're fully learning their lessons of the past. No, exactly. And you've got to maybe give United the chance to prove themselves right. And we obviously give all these players a chance to to fairly prove themselves at the club. And after the yeah. international break, the pressure will be on for all of them. Dom, have you got any planned exciting of the international break? Or are you going to be binging on Nations League football? I'm going to be binging on the Amazon Spurs documentary, which I haven't quite finished. Uh, it should be a nice insight into Mourinho. I'm going to go to the Lake District and I'm going to avoid a bit of football. I think it's been it's been tra- transfer a six one defeat and a transfer deadline day day after each other has been it's been quite a toll, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been an absolute grueler to be honest. It's been horrible, but at least we got Bake Off tonight, which uh, we can all look forward to. Something more pleasant exactly. and uh, hopefully less dramatic than the. Uh, 
the dealings of Monday afternoon anyway. But Dom, thank you very much for joining us on the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast. Thank you very much. And thank you very much for listening as well at home. Of course, we will be back again later in the international break and we'll have another podcast looking ahead to United's return to action next week when they each fall to face uh, Newcastle United. So thank you very much for joining us once again. Please do leave a like and subscribe if you're new around here. I'll see you again next time.